You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. This show, like all shows on Blogging Heads TV and Mini of Life TV, is produced by the Non-Zero Foundation. Please consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash non-zero foundation. Thanks. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. How's the pandemic treating you? Uh, it's going okay. A little down. You're looking a little scruffy, too. What do you, first tell me what you're down about. Oh, just the relentless, uh, uh, aspect of it. Same thing everybody else is down about. There's, a, there's another aspect, too, which is. Well, what, what is the quality that's relentless? What is. Uh, not being able to do anything? Oh, that. Having the postman who may knock. Uh, at any minute, uh, being my only outside contact, um, and uh, uh, the other depressing thing is it has become a class thing. In other words, uh, which I didn't expect since it was started by jet setters. It is uh, that's part of the class narrative. They bring it here, but they don't suffer. Well, they're it's weird. They're all getting it at Mar-a-Lago and in the White House. So at the very top levels. They're getting it. They don't seem to be getting very sick. Right. But it is spreading there. But uh, the deaths are all on the other side of town, uh, right. especially among African-Americans. Uh, and there's a lot of commentary on that in the press. But, uh, you know, and both sides use it. The, uh, the open it up side said, well, you people are sheltered here on the west side. With your laptops and we have, we're out of, out of work on, on the east side. And the other people say, well, you people are, you know, uh, if we open up the sheltered people with the laptops will be safe. And the people on the other side of town are going to be building herd immunity for them. So they're going to be putting them to work in the salt mines of herd immunity. I don't see where that affects the debate really. That no. One way or the other, since the rich people are safe either way under either scenario, the question is, what's better for the the differences of the people on the other side of town? I think it's better to save their lives and give them money than put them to work immediately. Well, they're not exactly the same people, though. I mean, the non-rich, there's different kinds of non-rich. There's non-rich in red parts of America, which isn't just red states, it's like rural parts of New York and so on. Um, well, New York's a bad example because it's so kind of pervasive there, but say the the rural Midwest, uh, where the disease isn't much of a problem. Um, so for them, well, opening up right now seems like all good, whereas the, the non-rich, you right. know, in New York, um, it's less clear because they're more likely to get the disease if they open up. I, I'm just talking about L.A. and yeah. big cities, big cities. The rural thing is interesting, too. We're getting into a lot of substance at the beginning without We are. Well, maybe we should just pause and, 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 and say that you seem to be growing a beard. I'm becoming a Corin character like everybody else. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I mistakenly uh, forgot to shave this morning, so I figured I'd go with it. Terry, here's a, here's the quiz. It's I, actually I'm only dressed. One. I'm dressed. You're 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 in. You should count your blessings. Could have been worse. <laughs> I am grateful, and please yeah. don't stand up. You never know. But uh, can you? Here's a question I'll throw out. Can you just by looking at me, telling me 
tell me, I'm not growing a beard. I'm not very right. good at that. I did it once, but it wasn't very impressive. But what is the only pandemic-related change to my visage? Ah, uh, you, you could You could spot it if you were astute enough. Um, you haven't cut your hair. Wrong. Let's let's move on to another topic. I'll tell you, I'll tell you at the end. This is the this is the stay on the edge of your seat tease at the that beginning of the exciting. podcast. No, but there's another one. Oh, there's another one. It's this. I was last time I talked about the meaning of statistical significance of the remdesivir test. Do you remember yeah. that? I was taken to task by a number of viewers and or listeners for not getting that exactly right. Now Yeah, I, I checked out in the middle of that debate. That debate. Yeah, I, I feel bad. I, I forgot I failed to take your name off of a long Twitter exchange that continues no, okay. to this day about that. Okay. Um but uh you know, as a rule, when people say I got something wrong, I refer to these people as the haters. <laughs> But in this okay. case, I have to say, a disturbing number of them seem to have PhDs. Not yeah. that not that PH, people with PhDs can't hate, but it suggests that maybe they're motivated by something other than animus toward me. Um, and you know, I count on that. <laughs> well, it was impressive how many of them there are. I mean, do you know how many mathematically literate people? Because this is a subtle point. I mean, many I, academics I, get this point wrong in the way that I, I allegedly. I'm always did. impressed by that on Twitter. So anyway, and they showed up on all platforms. It's like, not just Twitter, like commenters on the YouTube video, commenters on the Blogging Heads TV site. It was like a mass of people. I'm not going to call haters, but I will wait until near the end of the podcast to tell you whether they are right about my being wrong. And also, and also relatedly, to bring you a little more good news about remdesivir, that no one... I mean, this is you. No other podcast will tell you this, and I don't think I'm kidding. I, okay. think, I mean, I know I'm not kidding, and I think I'm even right. Um, uh, great, um, great. You on the edge of that. your seat? Sorry, you on the edge of your seat? Uh, I I can't figure out what's changed in your face, so that's I'm I am troubled. Um, this should help. When you I had a like nose that. job? No, I didn't. But it would be a good time to do that. I should maybe you know tuck in the eyes a little. You know, because who? Uh, there's nobody around. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, you know, we'll see if any viewers can guess. It's it's subtle. It's subtle. Your hair is whiter. No, I mean I'm sure it is, but that's not <laughs> right. pandemic related. Um. Anyway, the point I was about to make about the rural point is the media is all primed to have this thing explode in rural areas. It's been in New York. Now it's now the heartland where the Trump voters are gonna they're gonna be hard hit. And this is a demographer, William Fry at Brookings, who's come up with some semi-bogus uh, thing where he shows that the threshold has been reached in more and more counties. Uh, uh, and uh, Greg Sargent at the Washington Post is hyping this guy. I'm, I'm, I have no real scientific reason for doubting it. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to explode in rural areas and in the heartland. I think where there's a meatpacking plant, sure, uh, where there's an old age home, there's always the possibility that it'll spread like wildfire there. But I just don't think the rest of the country is going to be like New York. It's too spaced out. It's also possible that New York got a more vicious strain. 
and only when people from New York come and visit your town do they spread this vicious strain. Uh, I think that's we speculated about that last time, and in the in the succeeding week, it's become conventional wisdom. I think. Well, there was a piece in the Times about how much of the country's infection had come via New York, but I think. That got a little criticism, and I think the truth is it's not so clear. I think what's clearer is that the strain that went to New York from Europe went to a lot of other places, which doesn't mean that it didn't come from people who flew directly from Europe, either directly to cities other than New York or changed planes in New York and went to their other cities. I, I mean, I, I, in other words, I don't, I don't think it was like New Yorkers who are always the uh, the conduit, but I, I'm not. It's complicated. I mean, there is. I, I, I share your intuition that it's, I mean, first of all, New York is completely unique. We've talked about this. It is so conducive to epidemic. I mean, there's nothing like it if you've been right. on the subways or even walked on the sidewalks. But, um, and I kind of agree. Now, there are people who have made a big deal of the fact that if you take New, New York out of the statistics and I would add, if you take New Jersey out, because both of them have had declining cases, uh, and New Jersey counts for a lot. In fact, I think we now, uh, I'm not too proud of this, but I think we are now close to leading the country in daily deaths. Um, uh, but uh, if you take those two states out of the statistics, then you see the rest of the country's cases increasing, uh, not decreasing, not plateauing. And then the counter, the, the reply to that is, well, yeah, but you, you have to account for, it's not a huge increase and you, and you need to account for the growth in the number of tests, right? You test more people, you're going to get more positives. Uh, but in fact, the, the rate, the percentage of tests that yield a positive result is at an all time low of 10%. And so I, I, I kind of, I think I agree that it's not going to be huge, huge, huge. Um, now, I mean, we have seen, you know, the unofficial official model, the University of Washington model, did, as we've been anticipating on this podcast, increase the death estimate from like 70-something no, to 130-something. Nobody cares about the University no, of Washington model. Here's it's why had, it's important. It has, it has abuse heaped on it. It's gotten it wrong. It seems to be adjusting the estimates I have, post I have, after it happens to match the reality. Screw them. I have, you know, you asked me last time what's important about about that particular model. I said it's important because everyone's talking about it. I have a more specific answer now. It's important because it may, it's unlikely, but it may get Joe Biden elected. What I mean by that is because Trump is clearly following it. I mean, the administration is clearly taking its, its estimates more from that model than any. And they have their own models. There's a, there was a FEMA one. There was one that was leaked to the Times that had the death toll of three thousand. Right. Uh, but if you listen to what, models. but Mickey, if you listen to what Trump says, it's clear that when he talks about how many deaths we may have in the end, he's looking at the University of Washington model, and 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 there was as a result of that, he has created a very effective campaign ad to be used against him. They're going to show him, they're going to show him starting out back in February saying, well, I've got 12 cases, we'll have zero in next week, whatever. And then he's going to say, well, it looks like it's going to be 50 to 60,000 deaths. And then he's going to say, and he has said all these things. And then he's going to right. say, well, but, 70 or 80. And then he's going to say, well, uh, you know, and, and he's on record now as of this week. Well, maybe 80, 90, 100. And then 
even if he says nothing more, even if he musters the self-discipline to shut the hell up as he would if he had any sense at all, there's still going to be the ad that goes that far, and then they're going to show the bar going above 100 and continuing to go above 100. Well, as he-, he also said 100 to 200, and people like you criticize him for highballing it, and that's going to turn out to be accurate. Well, that so was at the very apo- beginning. Are you going to apologize for your He should have left it there, theory? exactly. No, he should have left it there. I, as I no, that's I, what I was saying was he was being a smart politician at that point, and he was. It was also the accurate estimate. There. What? It also is going to turn out to be the accurate estimate. In I retrospect, hope it's higher than that. In retrospect, uh, but then he started following the University of Washington model down and then back up, and now they've got this killer campaign ad. You will definitely see this ad, and it's going to be pretty good. Well, they got a lot of killer ads. Uh, well, they got some on Biden, too. I think they've got Biden calling um, Trump a xenophobe for stopping uh, some travelers from China. Scott, that did you see the uh, the 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 tape of they they've resurrected the I have a higher IQ than you do tape of Biden? Oh man! Wait, you mean the one from like forty years ago? From nineteen eighty-eight. Yes. Uh so so thirty-two. Yeah, with our friend Mort Kondracki on it. Yes, <laughs> a, a useful a useful Mort Kondracki. You notice they cite a Newsweek article. Did you write that article, Mickey? I did. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. It was my and high that was, point. That was back when Newsweek was Newsweek. With all due respect I wrote it. I didn't report it. It was reported by a team. Eleanor Cliff dug up the tape. I mean, she'd seen it, and then she went and got it. And then it was the, it was the rare case of the Newsweek reporting style working, which is they deployed a team to check out all five of Biden's claims and four of them turned out to be lies it's a it's a pretty uh, damning tape because I, I was just the guy that wrote it up i didn't do any reporting so what does he say on the tape he says i graduated in the i was the only person to get a full academic scholarship yeah. to whatever i graduated yeah. in the top half of my class i did blah i did blah there's like four right. untrue things in a row right and and it looks it looks pretty bad it just it, reminds me what a subpar candidate he is well, sadly yeah, for the the first thing about it is it was uh it was provoked by by some guy in the in the in the back of the room who's basically said you didn't go to harvard or yale why should i vote for you as president and if there was ever anything calculated to set biden off that's it <laughs> uh ivy league snobbery uh, and it also shows how incredibly insecure the guy was about his academic about his smarts, basically. And he should, you know, but it's weird. He's, my line on Biden is always he's, 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 uh, reacted against that by convincing himself he's smarter than he actually is. And he's also a motor mouth. He can't stop talking just like Trump. He really so, should. He really should. I, now, uh, now he's slowed down a bit. So that's probably to his advantage because, but, but he's got know, a podcast, you know, it's so pathetic. They, they he, he says, have you he listened? Hopes no, but he hopes to get Barack Obama on his podcast, Bob. I'll bet he could get that's, Barack. That's pathetic on so many levels. Like the guy's running for president, and like his, he hopes to get Barack. You think he could get him? Uh, also, that, that his press people thought that that was a good thing to leak. Well, he, he is, hopes he to has get Barack learned. Obama. He has learned what Trump has not learned, which is under promise and over deliver. Who's he going to get beyond <clears throat> Barack Obama? Joe What's Rogan. That? 
No, no. I mean, he's that, what what he's doing. Unlike Trump, when Trump says, "Oh, we can hold it down to sixty thousand deaths," Biden is saying he may be able to do something he knows he can do. <clears throat> um, okay, but um, yeah. Well, I think I think uh, I think Obama's not a tough get for him. I, I I still think there's a good chance he will not be the nominee because of Tara Reid. Well, Tara Reid. I don't know what I think of her story. Uh, she seems, you know, Kathy Young of, uh, wrote a very judicious critique and then tweeted that she thought she was bonkers. Well, I, if you told me that at the end of that critique, it would have been helpful. Uh, she Wait, is, where was this? Where did it disappear? It was some weird Archidigit, some weird site. It's, there's, it's, there's, uh, yeah, Arc Digital, which is on yeah. Medium. There, there's, um, there's a Vox piece that's somewhat in that. By a woman who was in touch with Tara Reid from the very beginning, checking the stuff out, who doesn't, excuse me, doesn't dismiss her, but, um, is, yeah, is ultimately skeptical sounding. What is this? What is the one you read, say? It, it, it's skeptical, but there's, you know, there have been so many, she, there's so many addendums. With each new corroborating witness, she has to write an addendum, batting it away. And the new one is is in court documents. Her husband said she said that uh, she was harassed by you know by Biden's office in Biden's office. Didn't say assaulted. Well, no, but, but he's the, the, the key thing about that. That's a new kind of evidence because that is a document from 1996 before he could have had any Joe Biden reason to suddenly any you know 2020 election reason to suddenly remember a conversation with her. He knew her. In 1993, he was a congressional aide, I think, too, and he says... I think he married her. Yeah, he did marry her. This is a document where I think at this point they're no longer married, and I think she's seeking a restraining order or something. But uh, but, uh, it doesn't have the assault, so... No, no, it doesn't, but A, you can well imagine her not wanting to tell a guy uh, about the assault, and B... It does. He does say he had the impression that the event traumatized her, which right. you wouldn't think, you know, right. garden variety sexual harassment would necessarily do. Right. Well, it does. Uh, it, it, it's entirely possible she's telling the truth, uh, and I just think it, it helps crystallize all the doubts about Biden. And as long as he's soaring in the polls, he'll be fine. But he started to come back to earth in the polls and. I'm now I'm now thinking that you know Trump might actually have the advantage. So the Democrats at some point are going to well, start again. Panicking. The betting markets agree. I mean, the betting markets give Trump the advantage. Yeah. And so it, 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 anyway, at some point, it's entirely it's it, it uh, it's entirely possible that they uh, they panic. I mean, I just in terms of uh, to get back to Newsweek, uh, and it, my analogy is a Newsweek's. Newsweeklies are an imploding universe. You start off, you start off the week working on all sorts of stories, but you know that on Thursday, they're going to change everything and assign you a new story. So you work on basically a bullshit story on Tuesday and Wednesday, like pension, tr- pension troubles in the states, you know, is never going to make the magazine. Uh, and, and then the real story comes on Thursday and Friday. Well, Biden's candidacy seems like a, Tuesday, Wednesday story. You're waiting for the other shoe to drop for something else to happen that mixes up the race. Uh, and well, you know, there's a, there's a, about four or five prominent people, not all of them Bernie supporters, who've, uh, 
basically said he should get out of the way. No, although Bernie supporters basically made this an issue. I think I think had it not been for the Katie Halper interview, she's a Bernie supporter. Um, Tara Reid was also, I think, interviewed by Crystal Ball, Bernie supporter, and presumably Amy Goodman is a Bernie supporter. Anyway, she was also in democracy. That, especially the Katie Halper interview, which which I've listened to, by the way. Have you listened to that? No. She sounds pretty credible. I got to say, by the end of that, I'm thinking, hmm. Um, now, uh, now the the piece of evidence that in a way looks worst for her atmospherically is that tweet she did. You know, it was either weeks or months before she actually uh, went public with the rape and the sexual assault allegation. And you didn't see this? No. It's it's in the. I saw a in, bunch of ridiculous pro Putin Putin. Well, Yeah, there's that. But no, this is like Ryan Grimm. This is back in March, early March, and when it's still looking like it might come down to Biden and Bernie. And Ryan Grimm, I guess, of The Intercept tweets, well, it, uh, so if it's down to Bernie and Biden, Biden's going to get very intense scrutiny. Traditionally, he hasn't fared very well when he starts getting very intense scrutiny, like meaning his past. And she replies, um, Tara Reid replies to him. It's something like, yeah, it's all in the timing. Tick, tick, tick. Now, this is weeks, I think, before she goes public with, so, so that, that gives you the sense of someone just waiting to spring this at the politically opportune moment. Not that that means it couldn't be true. Well, of course she is. So what? Uh, I'm just, I, as I said, atmospherically, it looks bad. I'm not saying it counts as evidence against her. It is being used, believe me, by people who want she's, to support Biden this tweet. If it's true, she's pissed at Biden, he assaulted her, and she wants to do the maximum damage. Totally. It's like people said this about Kavanaugh, I, uh, and I, you know, I was doing a dialogue with somebody who said, you know, she just wanted to derail his career. I'd say, if somebody did, did to me what he allegedly did to her when she was a teenager, I, I'd spend my whole life waiting to derail his career. Um, so, I agree with that part. Anyway. Anyway. Here's, but here's, here's the fix that the Democrats are in. I mean, because Biden's such a problematic candidate, I'm sitting here thinking, hey, maybe we can still dump him. But the thing is, if you dump him and don't pick Bernie, then you're, you're going to suffer even more at the hands. The Democratic candidate will suffer even more at the hands of embittered Bernie supporters than they would now, right? I mean, they'll have a problem with, with Bernie supporters in any event, but. It will be worse if they don't if they if they don't pick Bernie, and yet they're not going to pick Bernie, probably, right? I mean, um, they're not going to pick Bernie, but if they if they pick Michelle Obama, they win half the Bernie people and basically everybody else in the country. So <laughs> I think that man, overcomes that, that, their that Bernie be, problem. Oh, that would piss Trump off so much um, <laughs> to and, lose to lose to an Obama and a woman. That would drive Trump uh, crazy. Let's do it. Let's make this everything happen. Drives, making- everything drives Trump crazy. It's an, <laughs> it's 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 not hard to do. Uh, I'm not going to participate in this cheap Trump stereotyping. Well, no. In fact, you probably have to go on the surrogates call right now, don't you? I they haven't invited me. I think I may have blown it by by, by mentioning talking it? about it. By yeah, talking about it, they haven't invited like me fight, since. It's like Fight Club, man. Since you, I mentioned it on Blogging Heads, you you. you you admitted you know, to being on the Trump surrogate conference call, and that was and no more invites for Mickey. There's nothing scandalous about having a sur- surrogate call. Everybody has surrogate calls. Oh yeah, I've got one uh, right now. Just a second. No, I mean, 
Uh, if you were president, you would have a surrogate call. Well, yeah, but not everyone's on it. You might not have any surrogates after your, your, you know, statistical error about, you know, this. We will come to that. We will come to that. (laughs) uh, I'm not, I'm not, I am not ceding any ground to the people that I'm not calling the haters. The mathematicians are just waiting, waiting until the right time. Tick tock, tick tock. Stand the edge of your seat. Let you have it. Tick tock. Yeah. Um, (laughs) anyway, the, um, I thought I had a point about Biden's. I think I, I guess I've made my point. I mean, he's uh, he Bad gets candy. weaker and we, he gets weaker and weaker. Oh, so long, as long as they can keep him in the basement until early November, it could could work. But I don't, uh, is he doing live streams from from the basement? I mean, that's pretty that's pretty risky. He tried to do me. a live fundraiser and it was a disaster. Apparently, so so aside from that, it's just taped taped like carefully edited things i think so i don't know how carefully edited but i think that's right i bet carefully um so we've almost run through my whole list of topics well we we barely touched on the pandemic per se that's okay. i mean <laughs> uh well what about you, yeah go ahead oh, well oh. to my mind the 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 well, I have two issues. One is it, 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 there's this point about herd immunity that I tried to make last time, and I didn't know what I was talking about. But this, in the intervening week, all sorts of people who do seem to think they know what they're talking about have echoed the point and debated it, which is, you know, suppose you have herd immunity. If you have 400 people in a nursing home, they don't have herd immunity, and if the virus gets in among them. They're all, you know, there's going to be a, it's going to be a death trap like every other nursing home. So this idea that we can protect the elderly while we have herd immunity on the outside uh, is questionable. And then the question is, uh, you know, d- does that happen? Does herd immunity completely eliminate the virus so that when the elderly emerge from their isolation, that they're OK? And the answer seems to be not necessarily because. A, it takes a while even after herd immunity is achieved for the virus to disappear, the so-called overshoot. You always have people coming into the country from the outside. They hasn't the, the the virus hasn't disappeared from the world. Uh, so uh, it it seems very suspect the idea that herd immunity can in fact protect pockets of people who don't have immunity among themselves. Well, I think the idea behind herd immunity, or or the the version I'd be closest to to liking is that we have presumably learned something during wave one about how to protect nursing homes. I mean, for example, the people who work there, they should be very regularly tested, probably shouldn't take public transportation to work and so on. You might have to spend real money to, you know, to build the barriers. And then there's also there's older there's a lot of older people who aren't in nursing homes. And they would keep doing what they're doing now, although it could get pretty old. But, you know, being very, very careful. I think it definitely presupposes much better testing capabilities than we have now. I, you know, you need instantaneous result tests both for the virus and for the antibodies. You need lots of them. And that's one of the reasons that you then are able to tamp down any little brush fires that you would get from people coming into the country or wherever yes. they appear. You do the, you know, you, you've got the contact tracing down. You're using smartphones, whatever. That's the dream. I don't know. As, but as Austin Goolsby, one of Obama's economists, pointed out, 
if you add up the high risk categories, uh, they're almost 50% of the population. E- even if you eliminate the double counting, you have Are old they people. Really? You, have, you have anybody over 65, you have anybody with an under, underlying medical condition. It adds up. And then if you add in all the people who have to, you know, help them out, all the service workers who you have to protect, you wind up having to protect half the country. Uh, so you don't get all that much. Well, again, again, though, as the thing progresses, you've got more and more people who are immune. And by the way, this week's evidence tended to support the hope that this is a conventional disease, at least in the sense that, yes, pretty much everybody gets antibodies. Yes, they confer immunity for at least some some period, non-trivial period of time. It's still an open question, and I think we may have talked about this last time, maybe not. You could have immunity for yourself and still spread it to others. That's theoretically possible, and they haven't ruled that out yet. Well, you still have- well, wait. Yeah, if you go touch a surface and then go wipe somebody's face, but not you can't you can't transmit it through the conventional way of getting infected by the virus what? and coughing, right? Why, why, why do you say that? Are, are you a scientist? There was a scientist on NPR who said that's entirely possible. Yeah, I'm a scientist. They haven't ruled it out. You can't <laughs> um, even get... You don't even know what the, the the margin of error is, Bob. Well, I, I don't know when the <laughs> I don't know when the don't count me out, man. Just just wait, <laughs> just wait. The audience is growing even as we speak. More people, people are like emailing people saying Bob's going to do the big reveal at the end as to whether he's an idiot. And it's right. true. But wait, but I don't know when you heard this person, but. Again, there were, there was more, there was more concern. Okay. Well, then never mind, maybe, but there was more concern at the beginning of the week about whether uh, this confers, uh, conventional immunity than there was. The other thing that's fallen, the other thing that fell was this. There, there had been scanty evidence that maybe people can get sick twice, but the, the, the population where that seemed to be, or at least get the virus in them after they've gotten over the illness. Turned out that was just fragmentary RNA floating around, not the virus per se. The the other question is, uh, everybody talks about, you know, well, do we have to lock down until there's a vaccine? Ignoring seemingly the possible of the middle ground where there's no vaccine, but there are therapies and there's testing and, and the economy can. And the question is, can the economy start up? I guess it depends how effective the therapies are. If the therapies are as effective as our therapies against AIDS, for which there's no vaccine, then it seems to be we win. There is a there is a problem with antiviral therapies, and and I will before before later revealing the good the good new news about remdesivir, I will reveal the bad news, which is that you know this uh you know this disease has turned out to be a lot weirder. Than, than, than most of its, uh, you know, its, its, its precursors or whatever. Uh, and, and I think you should feel, uh, a little prescient or vindicated or something. Very early on, it was maybe our very first dialogue, uh, on this. You said, um, and I hadn't heard this anywhere before. It may be not just a lung disease, but a blood disease. And that's, it turned out to be among the many weird dimensions of this. That yes. Uh, you know, for example, they found that dialysis machines are also need because it can, you know, uh, what it can do via the blood. Um, but anyway, um, the, uh, the trouble with antiviral drugs is that one of the weird things about this disease, it's probably not unprecedented, but 
for some people, the, the grave illness comes directly via the virus in the relatively early stages. For those people, the antivirals may help because they get they start feeling gravely ill and they get the antiviral. And remember, with something like remdesivir, which is an IV thing, they have to give you an injection. You're probably not going to get it until you start feeling pretty damn sick. Um, but then there's a second phase after the virus is, you know, largely left your body where the problem is your immune system overreacting, the so-called, what is it, cytokine storm or something? Something like that, yeah. And that's an appreciable part of the problem. And by the time you feel sick from that, it's too late for antivirals to help, as I understand it. And that well, is... That's, a- the, that's the thing with chloroquine, too, or however you pronounce it. It, it seems, the only hope for it is, it, is that it, it, it seems to work better if... If you, it doesn't seem to work if you give it too late. Right. And by the time you get to the hospital, it's too late. But, it only but that's seems... oral. But, but that's at least okay. oral. So you can but, give it to people pretty routinely right. if they test positive. Right. If it right. works, and which there, we don't really know. And there are places like Portugal claims to do that and they claim they've had great success in lowering the death rate. So it, it's, it's some of the, the non-scientific evidence for it. But I think that also has the effect of calming the cytokine storm. I think that that that's effect is is it calms down the immune system. Wait, what, what does? So you have to uh, chloroquine. Does it? Yeah. Huh. So so uh, I don't think remdesivir does. Anyway, so th- the timing on that would be key, obviously, because you have to get it. You need the immune system at the beginning to fight off the virus, and then you got to calm it down before it goes crazy. Yeah. Anyway. So uh, so that's it for me and the virus. What about political consequences of the virus, like a Cold War with China? Don't you think the Cold War is heating up? Oh, come on, Mickey. I mean, actually, a vaccine is a perfect example. The, the, The chances of getting a vaccine early are maximized if there is a free and easy flow of information among scientists in all countries. Right. Whereas if national, if a nationalistic spirit prevails and people are like, no, we want to get the virus and then we won't give it to anybody else until like blah, blah, blah. Or if for any, and in particular, if communication is subdued or severed, uh, between the scientific communities in, in, in the West and in China, that will slow the, right. you know, likely will slow the advent after of the vaccine. We get the vaccine. After we get the vaccine, we can have the Cold War. So you're in favor of the Cold War with no, China? I'm in favor of decoupling our of of at least partially decoupling our economy from China, getting the supply chains out of China. It seems well, that's, very that's risky. more than partial. If you're if you're saying none of our supply chains should 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 uh, cross tr- China? Well, not none. It doesn't bother me that you know the shirts come from China, but anything important. No electronics. Doesn't bother me that, that some electronics come from China either. Oh, okay. Although I've had. I, I'm on well, my, then what would you I, exclude? I ordered two digital thermometers from China, and neither of them work. And I, I've ordered, uh, I ordered a a, a, a a filtering water pitcher, and the pitcher is made in America, and the inners are made in Mexico, and the lid is fit in China, made in China, yeah. and they don't fit together. So it's like the a metaphor for the tragedy of globalism. Um, wow, that's so, heavy. You should do a whole piece with that at the, as I, the I, lead. I, it wasn't even enough for a tweet, I don't think, but uh, it was enough for blogging ads TV. Uh, so, uh, I, I, I mean, I, I, I think we have to maintain enough manufacturing in the United States 
to get keep our workers employed and also enough to satisfy our national security and economic security concerns. After that, doesn't bother me if stuff is made in China. Okay. But I, I, I also don't like, I don't like, uh, I sort of like the idea of encouraging them not to become a Orwellian fascist uh, surveillance state. That's just me. You want to hear what Steve Bannon has to say about China? On TV, get focused about what the reality is. The Chinese Communist Party is at war with the world. They're at war, war with humanity. And they're supported by, they're, they're supported, they're devils and they're supported by demons. Okay, we're going to... It goes on. Actually, that is him in a calm and sedate mode. It really is. I mean, in terms of him pushing emotional buttons these days to galvanize, you know, I mean, it is a hundred, every death due to this, everything about this disease is a hundred percent the fault of the, the, the CCP. And he wants, he's using the word war more and more and, and no longer, uh, restricting it to, uh, you know, like information war and so on. Well, you know that, uh, the, the, the debate, if they can call it that, between Ann Coulter on the right and the Steve Bannons and Tom Cotton's on the right has heated up. Uh, so, so what Ann Coulter is, maybe you Ann, told me this. Ann Coulter, Coulter says it didn't come from the lab. It came from the oh. Pangolin and the, and the, and the wet market. And it's because these backward Chinese have these horrible cultural customs and the people who were starting who claim it's from the lab are all neo are neocons who want to start a war with China. So she agrees with you on that part. I tell you, I'm uh, warming up to that girl. The um, and speaking of Pangolin, I have not given up on Pangemic as the name of this podcast, but we'll get to that later too because we've had a lot of nominees for that. You know, there, there's, I, th- I think uh, I think uh, anyway, I'm for Pangolin related names also. Uh, although the the overwhelming choice among viewers seems to be are not. Most of them spelling it A-R-E-N-O-T. That sounds like the name of Elon Musk's kid. Okay, let's not do that then. If you, have you followed that? <laughs> no, he's gonna name his kid or not? He, it's worse than that. He let his, he let his, his baby mama name the kid and it's like A-E-K to the power of 13. Is this like, what's her name very, again? She's like a singer. She's right? a rock, she's a, a pop star, yeah. That Rhymes. guy. That guy, right. I worry um, about him. But anyway, the uh, you know there's a there's a there's a division on the left too. Although it's a little more, and I'm talking about the left left, like among like socialists and stuff. Right. There, there's uh, most of them, I think, are sensibly uh, opposing the ginning of of antagonism toward China. But a few, like Matt Stoller. Uh, are trying to gin up antagonism toward China, and Glenn Greenwald had a, actually a good uh, a good podcast uh, where he interviewed separately, not together, but Matt Stoller and then a a China Dove guy who had written a book. Mm. Um, well, the the weird thing about the debate is it's an empirical question whether it came from the lab or not. Maybe we'll find out one day. That doesn't affect whether Coulter is right or Tom Cotton is right. It, it could have. Not come from the lab, and Tom Cotton could still be right about the need to overthrow the CCP. It could have uh, co- come from the lab, and Coulter would still be right that the you know, well, there, I, there, I, I, there are irreconcilable cultural differences between nations. No, I mean, totally. I mean, I think know. I think I said last week that, and I think I got you to agree. Like 
and fundamentally, it shouldn't matter. I mean, either way, whether it's market or lab, it means there was a regulatory failure on the part of China. I mean, no, but no serious person is pushing the kind of it was a bioweapon that escaped or it was intentionally let loose or any of that. It's like it was a bat virus and it got out of the lab is the scenario. And so, OK, it was one kind of mistake or it was another kind of mistake. Either way, you want the regulation to uh, improve. And by the way, um, Australia is mad at Trump for pushing the lab theory and, and Pompeo. You know, Pompeo this week said he has enormous evidence that it started, that it leaked from a lab. And then people, including people in China and the government said, give us the evidence if you've got enormous evidence. And then he kind of quieted down a little. Uh, I think one reason he quieted down is because some allies like Australia are complaining because they want to use this to actually finally regulate uh, the use of wildlife and exotic wildlife and stuff for food because they, they think this really is, there's a lot of danger out there in the wild of viruses that could uh, cause pandemics and they want to get China and other countries well, they were to... Supposed, uh, they were supposed to shut down the wet markets after the first SARS and and they did for a while and then they opened them back up again, so... You're right that it's a regulatory failure either way. That's a good point. Yeah. Now, uh, Pompeo, though, is like, oh, what an embarrassment. Now, this is something I want to say to you. This is something I want to say to you is like one thing I just realized this week is the the slow creeping degradation of the quality of person in our government over these three years. I mean, what brought this to a head is so like Trump. He's got one clown who's now head of the director of national intelligence. Uh, I wrote his name down somewhere. Really? Anyway, yeah, he's the acting clown, but he's nominated he's a, a second clown. Well, he's he's unqualified and he's a Trump lackey, and Trump wants to replace him with another unqualified. He's a veteran foreign policy wild man. He's not a okay wild man, a but a Trump loyalist. The point is, you don't want a staunch political loyalist to the president to be running the intelligence. Service and, and I think, by the way, in this this may be a reason to have second thoughts about the post nine eleven reform that led to the centralization of the whole intelligence apparatus. Because now the Leon, president appoints Leon one Panetta lackey. Was, no, there was, there was no DNI. There was no DNI. No, but the point is, Leon Panetta was at the CIA. There were other agencies. It was more fluid and decentralized. Other agencies had a voice. There was no one guy or person. And now there is at the top of the chain, and they all report to him. So there's not independent voices coming from different intelligence agencies. And I think when you got a president like Trump, you see the danger. He's going to – now there's this guy who apparently is going to get confirmed by Congress to uh, replace Grinnell. Um, oh, his name's Ratcliffe. Um, and he's a, he's a Trump loyalist. And and so there's and and you know it's like they started I mean, out. Bush with, appointed Bush loyalists, and they got us into war in Iraq. It's, no, it's hard to were, top that. No, but they were or, they they were not Bush loyalists loyalists the way these guys are Trump loyalists. Or take take chief of so so we started out with like a reasonable guy at DNI Dan Coates, and then you get these crazier guys who are more abjectly subservient. Now look at chief of staff. You said whatever you think of Reince Priebus, he was probably a little bit of a suck up. 
But now you've got Mark Meadows, who was an actual birther, right? He was a birther. So we got a birther president, a birther chief Mark of staff. Mark Meadows is at least as competent as Wright's Pribus and probably more. Well, yeah, but Pribus wasn't a birther. I mean, that's I'm, I'm talking about increasingly the upper levels. And, and, and even compare, look, Tillerson was nothing to be impressed by. But Pompeo is like a bad and dangerous man, you know, and... Just in all of these offices, slowly, almost without our realizing it, they they are, you know, the upper levels of the administration, more and more consequential positions are filled by people who are either abjectly unqualified or actively dangerous for one reason or another. And and this is why I, another four years is just it is truly perilous. It truly scares me, the thought of another four years of Trump. It has happened slowly, but give him another four years, and God knows where we'll be, and um, that's my spiel. The best and the brightest haven't done too well either. So, No, that's true. Uh, look, I, I am the world's foremost critic of the blob, almost, um, but uh, th- they pose their own kind of danger, but that reminds me, Josh Hawley. What is you'd he? Rather, is he? You'd rather have John Kerry as Secretary of State? I would say it's a totally a hundred percent. And he know. made his big mistakes. He made a big one in Egypt, but um, he was, you what know, was he the, was a reasonably what responsible was the mistake in Egypt? adult. What? What was the mistake in Egypt? He he implicitly greenlighted the coup, the yeah. military coup. He he supported the Iraq War, and then he wanted to, under the worst circumstances, he wanted to, before the surge, he wanted to. Have some sort of uh, humiliating negotiated uh, pullout uh, that would have been a complete disaster. Uh, so he, compared uh, to compared to what? Compared well, the to what surge we made the situation. With? I think the surge made the situation a little better than it was before. Oh yeah, things are going great in Iraq now. They're not going great, but they're going better than it would have been uh, without the surge. Who knows what Kerry did do is negotiate the Iran deal, which was a true achievement. And we would be in much better shape uh, if Trump had stuck anyway, with it. Anyway, I, I, I'm not that impressed. I'm not that impressed with Trump's appointees. I'm not that impressed with Obama's appointees either. I, I would I, take I, I would I, take I would take Condi Rice over Susan Rice in the Battle of the Rices any day. That would be a close one. Different perils, but the um, I mean, just I, in terms you, of just wanna, in terms of are you are you a Top flight competent person or not? If you want a quick pandemic okay, go ahead, connection, sorry. it's just that um, one reason Iran became an epicenter of the virus and helped transmit it regionally, um, including to Iraq, uh, is um, because we we have kind of been pushing Iran into China's arms. I mean, look. Iran and Italy were hit very hard by the virus. It's probably not a, a coincidence that they have both bought into China's Belt and Road Initiative. They have a lot of Chinese people going to those countries. And in the case of Iran, we have over over a number of years helped push them into the arms of China with a sanctions regime. It seems to be everybody's fault for the Belt and Road Initiative. And also, uh, uh, Germany has close ties to China, not from the Belt and Road Initiative, but just because of manufacturing. And that's their ties to China somehow helped them overcome the pandemic, uh, which I don't because they got an early warning, uh, uh, you know, from their sources in China. 
So it depends sort of what you make of China. Uh, the Yeah, I, I and I still don't understand why Germany has contained it so well. Um, Is that clear? It's not clear to me either. I mean, it's clear to me how they got they they they. It's clear to me that they've let their factories keep producing with social distancing and masking, and they're very disciplined about it. What I don't understand is their infection rate is very high and their death rate is very low. And why is their death rate so damn low? Uh, that's could, what could I don't just understand. mean they're testing a lot, and if we tested more, we'd have a, a lower death rate statistically because we we would test more negatives. Huh, okay, that could be. The the more, you know, there are these studies, and I do tend to believe them, that show that if if, if Trump had just a week earlier input did what he did, it would have saved an incredible number of lives. And it just, the the more this goes on, the the bigger Trump's early fuck-up is looking. Uh, and it's no, approaching I mean, unforgivable. No, no, the idea. Maybe that's why they... Put me off the surrogates call. Could be those kind of views probably are not going to win you. Anyway, uh, go ahead. No, I mean it's 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 true. It's like I mean I, I guess we don't need to get into the China thing in depth, but but it does. This phrase "cover up" used with China. I mean, there was definitely a lack of transparency for discernible reasons. But when you um, and not a justifiable one. I mean, I'm against it, and we should ultimately hold them to account. And 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 just as uh, SARS led to reforms and led them to b- perform better than they did this time than they did in SARS, in the case of SARS, we should expect better next time. At the same time, I mean, the the you know on January first, uh, apparently the national government was informed that something uh, was amiss. And the local government continued apparently to not level with the with the national government and to even skew the collection of statistics so that it really was hard to be sure that there was human to human transmission for a while. But even so, by January twenty fourth, and 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 there may have been other unjustifiable delays in doing this, but but about three weeks later, they had this draconian, you know, they shut down Wuhan. And they, they solved, they basically solved the problem in a way that we still haven't. And by January 24th, the whole thing was clear. I mean, it would have been better if we had known more earlier, but the whole thing was clear by January may, 24th to us, just to, just by virtue of what they were doing in Wuhan. They, they, I, I, they may have had a milder strain. Don't forget that. It, that could be, but the point is that any anyone paying attention should have known by January 24th, if you look at how severely the Chinese are reacting, that this is really something to be reckoned with. If you're leading a country, you should start asking yourself, well, what are we going to do? And yet it was another uh, nearly two months before we did anything to speak Although, of. I mean, aside from they did stop the travel from China. In retrospect, we were late uh, stopping it stopping some of the travel from Europe and and this is underappreciated but we were not ever doing a competent job of screening the people who were allowed back from those places uh, no he I, I'm not going to dispute that I there's a I, I have no I have no point of view on whether China covered it up or not there's a guy named Philip Lemoyne he seems somewhat controversial he's preparing a big piece vindicating China. 
Oh, really? A, a reporting piece. So he, he that's what he said. How do you know this? So, you, you, you talked to him? He said it in the middle of his piece on herd immunity, which I read. Uh, is, but, this, uh, is this at Arc Digital? I think it's at his, uh, I think he has just, he's just a blogger, I think. But, uh, uh one of our, um, but, uh, but no other, is there, are there any other countries that did act in time? I guess that's the question. Well, you know, South Korea acted very effectively. Now, now they were positioned to do it partly because of previous epidemics, previous epidemics that were Asian in origin had hit them so hard that they had more of an infrastructure in place and a plan. And their, um, their, their outbreak was relatively contained. It was like... Yeah, but they at one point, you know, it wasn't a foregone conclusion. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was contained because they acted early. They acted yeah. effectively. But anyway, I, I do blame Trump and I hold it against him and et cetera, et cetera. But so. I still fear that politically uh, he may not pay the ultimate prize. No, people you. forget quickly. And, you know, people are... Lauding Cuomo was the alternative, and Cuomo made a horrible mistake that uh, resulted in thousands of deaths. So, which was what forcing nursing homes to take back infected people. Ooh, and it uh, it infected the nursing yeah, homes. I don't, and I don't think. Of people I don't think died. you mentioned Cuomo as a replacement for Biden. I don't think he'd hold up to scrutiny even even here in on this one dimension. Um, of, of response. Well, it's a little pandemic. like Giuliani. I mean, Giuliani was a hero of 9-11. He made a horrible mistake, too. I mean, he uh, he uh, opened up lower Manhattan much too quickly. He took the EPA's estimate that, oh, the air is safe. And he said, OK, we got to get back to business. And the air obviously wasn't safe. Uh, and then that, and that's probably caused thousands of people to die earlier than they otherwise would, too. So uh, but yet he's still remembered as a hero because he I mean, he sort of owned, he, he took responsibility. He made decisions, and if they were wrong, he sort of owned them uh, in a way that Trump hasn't done. So Cuomo is doing the same thing. Uh, people give him points for that, even if he screwed up. Well, again, Keep in mind, b- before the election, I mean, Cuomo was sort of the, even though he's a jerk, was the closest to being the neoliberal candidate of my dreams than anybody else. Anyway, go ahead. I just want somebody who can win. Um, let's see. Anything else on the election? Uh, you saw the uh, the Morning in America commercial put out by the Lincoln Project. I, I saw the beginning of it. I didn't. Seemed a little too bleak. Uh, you know who discusses this is uh, Matt Lewis and Bill Sher on their uh, DMZ on their on their on their very worth watching or listening to DMZ podcast, but. I agree with, with 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 Matt. It was too it was too grim. It was just it was just grimmer than things seem right now to almost yeah. to most people. Right. And uh, it I may have, maybe um, six weeks from now it'll be the perfect ad. But I don't one, know what it is yet. Uh, I have three more things to discuss. One is uh, this this seemingly insane Martin Tulchin letter in the New York Times where he said we shouldn't investigate Tara Reid because she might be telling the truth, and then Biden is sunk. So we don't want to know that. Now, he's uh, a former reporter for the New York Times, right? He's a former, I think, bureau chief of the New York Times, and he uh, uh, and he um, he was roundly roasted for this. But it's sort of, in a weird way, bracingly honest. I mean, other than it's sort of more honest than the people who poke holes in Tara Reid's story, whether or not they actually believe it, for the same reason they don't they don't want to to torpedo Biden. It reminded me of. Being on the New Haven Mall in 19, 
70, I think, when the Black Panthers were on trial for the murder, including Bobby Seale, for the murder of Alex Rackley, who was, they suspected of being an FBI snoop. And all these law, law people from Yale Law School, like I think Hillary Clinton, were running around saying, well, the, the Panthers were denied due process and it's not fair. And, you know, and they were, uh, com- com- and, and finally Tom Hayden stood up and said, I don't care if they murdered Alex Rackley. <laughs> we're at war. And so what if they murdered him? And, uh, bracingly honest. This is the sixties, but I sort of gave him points for honesty, even though it seems horrible today. And the Tolton letter was sort of the Tom Hayden position, uh, uh, you know, in, in this much sort of less. Yeah. Cathected controversy. No, I mean, in a way, the striking thing about the letter, I didn't read it, but it sounds like the striking thing is that he thought you needed to say it. I mean, the message has been sent. I mean, everyone gets it. All the Biden supporters get it. And they are and they are, for that reason, trying to discredit Tara Reid. Right. But he said it out loud. Um, Yeah, it's uh, and it's it's sort of in a way, weird way, a principled position. I mean, nothing that Biden could done could measure up to the horror of Donald Trump in his mind. And. That's a position you could take. Yeah, look, uh, if, so. if, you know, I mean, I think Trump is in existential crisis at this point. Not that he's alone. There are a lot of those floating around. I don't think is, he's in He's done his best to be in existential crisis. I don't, well, as I said, though, as I said, though, the erosion, I, I just tried to document some of the erosion and you extrapolate over another four years. And also, like, what do you think of this weird William Barr decision? I mean. You you know law. I don't. You're like this Harvard Law School hotshot. Well, Did you yeah, graduate yeah. near the top of your class, Mickey, like Joe Biden? Did you graduate in the top half at Harvard Law? Just like Joe Biden, yeah. Uh, <laughs> in exactly the same sense. Congratulations. Uh, the, well, uh, so what do you think the, of this? The, the, this? I, I, the answer is I don't know. I mean, obviously, obviously the FBI had reason to be completely freaked out by Trump getting elected. And why was he saying these nice things about Putin? And, and was there some corrupt uh, bargain there? And there's enough in the air that I would want my FBI to investigate. So they, but they, they do seem to have, uh, you know, and then so they went out of their way to call in Flynn and, and sort of uh, get him to lie so they'd have some leverage uh, over him. But to my mind, the deciding thing is what was the actual lie? If he said, I did not talk to Kislyak about, about this, this deal, about the sanctions, that's a straight lie. Apparently he didn't say that. He said, he, he said a bunch of, no, he's according to Eli Lake, he said a bunch of, the problem is, A, A, it's illegal to lie to an FBI agent, which is insane, because you're not under oath. And why would anybody ever talk to the FBI under those circumstances? Wait, so it's illegal in a way it's not illegal to lie to a cop? Correct. That's kind of and weird, it's, and it's it's illegal in a way that it's not illegal for me to lie to you. Well, uh, that's definitely lie. We, we know from experience that's people not illegal. lie all the time, uh, and it's I think it's illegal even if they don't warn you about it and they forgot to warn Flynn, uh, although they were planning to do it. Uh, the uh, and and the second thing is the FBI doesn't keep a transcript. They have these fucking notes that they take themselves on these 502 forms that aren't really what you say verbatim. Uh, and and plus, the agents who took those notes didn't think Flynn was intentionally lying to them. 
He said things like, I don't remember. Well, that's not quite right. Blah, blah, blah. You know. Well, uh, I don't remember is probably a it. lie. He Look, danced if they around asked, it. Did you have a conversation with the ambassador to Russia, which is what Kislyak was at that point? Or oh, he admitted, anyway. to having, he admitted to having a conversation. He did? Yeah. Well, what, he, what do people even think he lied about then? They think he lied about, did he discuss ah. lifting sanctions, the sanctions okay, Obama but, but had Okay, but claiming he didn't remember would have been a lie for sure, right? Of would have been a remember. lie, but it's a hard lie to prove. It's hard to prove, yes. And he could say, and he could have said, I don't, I don't remember the exact details. There are ways to fudge it. Anyway, what people are saying, anyway, right? There wasn't there were, much of a lie there, so I think that's but aren't, the deciding aren't people factor. saying that regardless of all this, it's just almost unprecedented or unprecedented for the AG to step in and retroactively kind of like vacate something like, isn't it? Prosecutors admit mistakes all the time. It's, it's too rare. It's, it's, it, but it does happen. And with new okay. evidence, you know, coming out, it, I agree that the new evidence isn't all that powerful, but the uh, the evidence as to what he did is pretty weak. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I will also say, I mean, you know, this this in theory would have been a violation of Logan Act. To me, that's a kind of a bullshit charge to begin with. It doesn't bother me at all that an incoming administration is going to get their signals straight with various countries around the world. I right. mean, I think that's a that's. You know, and, and yeah. give them some sense of what policies and they, they can expect. You know, Ignatius wrote a column and said, well, Flynn's still guilty of undermining Obama's sanctions. Yeah, he's guilty of undermining. It's not a crime. He's soft on Russia. So we elected a guy who's soft on Russia. That's not a crime. Now, when you go to like Henry Kissinger links and undermine, and this is even before the election, I think, undermine the peace talks in Vietnam so that they'll fail and Nixon will get elected. That's a different order of being. But I agree. As it happens, we gave him the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Um, the, um, so what? I have one more thing on my list. But go ahead. Okay. No, go ahead. Well, the uh, the Democrats are, are preparing their. I think it's the fourth pandemic relief bill, and as part of it, they want a, a UBI, a, a basic income of two thousand dollars a month. Which doesn't bother me at all in the short term. It seems to me, if you're at war, wait, an ongoing. UBI? I, I don't know how it would end. I assume that's to be negotiated, but it, it's ongoing until they stop it. Yeah. And whether they would stop it, I don't know. Uh, I assume they're, they're already split on whether they should even start it. But, you know, let's assume it's like goes on for six months or something. I don't know. Uh, but that's the end is, I think, presumably subject to negotiation. I don't know what her, you know, Pelosi hasn't endorsed it. She said nice things about it. My point is there are, the tests of the big test of the UBI that came out from Finland compared it to Finnish unemployment compensation. So you, you had people getting Finnish unemployment compensation in the control group and you had people getting a no strings attached UBI in the, in the experimental group. And that's just not a test of what we worry about with the UBI. We worry the UBI. We worry that there is a would grow up a culture of people who aren't connected to work, the world of work at all. Not who are getting unemployment compensation, but who are never employed and have no intention of being employed. They're going to live off the UBI for the rest of their lives, at basically an underclass. And, you know, that's what we want to test. We want to test it against you know, what it, what does it do to people who don't aren't getting unemployment, who are getting nothing, uh, and, and against people, let's say, who have a guaranteed job. Those are the tests we want to see. Uh, 
And I, I'm deeply skeptical that the UBI works in the long term. As a short-term wartime expedient to prevent people from starving while we're forcing them to stay in their homes, yeah. sure. Why not? But uh, It seems weird to me. I mean, just the whole idea of not means-testing it so that even rich people get it, whereas obviously kind of implicitly you ultimately have to take the money away from the rich people, and so it's all just kind of a— Oh, I don't know if, the, I don't know if this is means-tested. It might well, be means-tested. Well, I thought the whole idea of UBI is that it's not mean—true UBI is no, not means-tested. I, I guess that's right, but it's taxed away. Well, the current thing it's, is, in fact, means tested. The twelve hundred dollar thing, it, but it, but there's a very high ceiling. It's like I suspect this will be the same way. But no, the, it, the, the key virtue of the UBI is it's no strings attached. It's yeah, money for nothing. The one that, if this follows the precedent of the twelve hundred payment, there's a there's a very loose means yeah, test. An individual can make up to ninety nine thousand and a couple up to one hundred ninety nine. The, the means test like is a secondary issue complaint compared to the does it subsidize. A an antisocial culture of non-work. Well, what did the uh, Finns find? The Finns, the Finns found it, it. It it made people happier, and it had a sort of marginal, probably within the margin of significance. Bob, the the uh, uh, the or whatever it is, the, whatever uh, it is. We'll get to the, that. Well, well <laughs> in the margin, it had a, mo- a modest positive effect on employment, but that's compared to people who are already on the unemployment dole. Compare it to people who are not getting any dole at all, uh, and then let's see what the effect is. If they didn't measure that, mm-hmm. uh, so and and it's also the 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 problem is in the long term. Do you want to half the country sitting around uh, living on their two thousand dollars a month? The lesson, one of the lessons of welfare reform, unfortunately, because people like me were saying, well, if we cut AFTC welfare and people just rely on food stamps. They're going to have to go to work because you can't live on food stamps alone. Apparently, you can live on food stamps alone. People can live on incredibly small monthly stipends. They borrow from their boyfriends. They borrow from relatives. They double up. The food stamps let them survive. You know, $2,000 a month is more than enough for a whole bunch of people to survive, including probably me if I had to <laughs> if you put me to the test. So it's... um. Uh, there's a tremendous danger of subsidizing just a whole class of people that never work. And, and that's what I want to see, uh, investigated. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't get the Andrew Yang, uh, movement. Uh, but, um, I mean, I do think, you know, all kinds of relief may be in order. I just, I just, uh, I just think UBI per se. Well, if you if you really buy thing. that automation is going to eliminate eighty percent of jobs and there's going to be nothing to do. Well, yeah, but I mean we're we're a long way from there. Where there's just I nothing. Agree, to I do. agree that we're a long way from there, so we shouldn't. Go uh, there yet. But well, we should address that with you know vocational training and yes, giving money to people who can't find a job. Uh, but anyway, so should I get into the statistical significance thing, Mickey? I think I think you have no alternative. Okay, so here's the deal. Remdesivir, this study that Fauci was touting, said there were two findings. It it, it reduced remdesivir relative to the control group, which took a placebo, seemed to reduce the time of treatment required before discharge from the hospital. That's good. And that finding passed the test of statistical significance. Right. It also found that it reduced the death rate by something like 
I mean, it was by 31%, but that's not what he said. He said it went down from, I don't know, 12.8% to something. But anyway, it was, it reduced the rate by 31%. He said, but that didn't test, uh, didn't pass the test of statistical significance. Now, here's what I've learned is that if you want to be strictly correct when you talk about statistical significance, I think I've got this right. I'm sure there are people who will let me know if I don't, but this is, if it did pass the test of statistical significance, which is, is typically set at 5%, okay? There's a, there's a, there's a variable called P that you can calculate given, you know, number of people in this study and whatever. I pro, I hope I didn't get that wrong. I'm pretty sure I didn't, but, um, it, it's called P. And, uh, if P equals, uh, 0.05 or Less than we say it has passed the statistical significance test at 5%. Okay. Now you ask me, what does that mean? Strictly speaking, here's what the way I would describe it now. Like if I'm an ad, like if I look at that study and I go, wow, 31% reduction in death rate. And it's a pretty big study. This one involved a thousand people. So that that's good news. And you say to me, no, wait, maybe it's a fluke. Maybe it just so happened for whatever. These 1,000 aren't representative of the population, whatever. Maybe it's just, maybe it's a fluke. And uh, this doesn't, it, it's really not going to be work uh, in the population. Here's what I might say. I might say, wait a second. What do you, what are the chances that if it wouldn't work in the general population, that we would get a finding this strong, 31%, in this sample of a 1,000 people. What are the chances that if it's not the case that uh, it works uh, in the general population, we get this finding or or even a more extreme finding, okay? If, right. P, if P equals 0. 0.5, the answer to that question is 5%. I mean, 0.05. If P equals 0.5, the answer to that question is 5%. That's what statistical significance means. Okay? Did, did that make sense? Now, you might infer, I don't recommend this any longer, but you might infer <laughs> that that means that, uh, that the chances of, of, uh, the chances of it not being the case that 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 remdesivir does low, lower the death rate. In other words, in light of this study, what this study tells us, it this is assuming P equals 0.05. Are you falling asleep? <laughs> I'm pretending to fall asleep. Mickey, this no, I, is this is vital. <laughs> okay. This is what I'm here for. This is okay. what people this is what people have been waiting for. Okay, okay. Oh, now I've lost my focus. You might infer from what I said that you could say, well, then given this study, the chances of remdesivir not lowering the death rate in general population are only 5%. Would you make right. that inference? Would you make that inference? Would you, would you call it? And then I'd be ripping by bloggers. Big mistake. <laughs> what I actually okay. said was the chances are 95% if P, P uh, equals 0. 0.05. I, I have not totally wrapped my mind around this and I still think I have a beef with what a lot of these I still think there's, it's a long story. There's some, uh, 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 it's I mean, an, chances it's a, are, chances are 95% that it works. 
<laughs> I'm telling you, Mickey, you no. just made a big mistake. Really? <laughs> you've, got, you've got at least 12 statisticians you have to deal no. with on Twitter now. Okay. <laughs> no, uh, actually, not all on Twitter. Some in the comments section of YouTube. Some of like, no, um, it, it seems like that would be the case. I, I am it, not. The trouble not. is, the trouble is, it, I, I can't articulate the logic behind that intuition with sufficient clarity, like write it out on paper so that I can find the exact flaw in it. I have some intuitions, but I mean, some of the things these statisticians are saying, just tell me, wait a second. You're we're in a different universe or whatever. Anyway, I had a long exchange with a guy who was a, on Twitter who's very indulgent, at least as indulgent as was good for either of us, probably, who I think uh, is a professor of stats at Monmouth University. Right. By the way, that's in Monmouth County, where I, as a cub reporter, worked for the now defunct Red Bank Register, but I digress. Really? Yeah, that's all true. But... um I I want to I, I want to bring updates about this uh, to future. This fascinates me. What exactly? I I gotta say I haven't heard articulated with utter clarity um, what the uh, why it's a fallacy. Although I don't I don't doubt it strictly speaking, but I haven't heard it uh, now. I will say uh, there's a guy on YouTube who who said who put the main point. Uh, early on, he's the only of the people who just commented in, you know, he's the only person who put it, his name's John Miller. The main point is that statistical significance is a measure of the probability of the data in light of the hypothesis, not a measure, measure of the probability of the hypothesis in light of the data. Think about that, Mickey. But I want to say one more thing. In a way, the main point I was making, I think, is not only right, but has been vindicated since. Here's what I mean. My main point was statistical significance should not be thought of as a binary thing. It so happens that we that we we somewhat arbitrarily designate the threshold as five percent. Right. And so we have Fauci saying, well, lower the death rate, but that wasn't statistically significant. My point was, even if it were statistically significant, we wouldn't know for sure that the the sample was representative of the larger population in this respect. And if it's not statistically significant, that doesn't mean it's not damn close. Now, it happens, and this I know courtesy of uh, a guy on Twitter named Dan Norton, I think. He actually went and looked at the data of this particular study. Now, the threshold is 0.059, is 0.05 for P. And on this study, the actual P is 0.059. So you would say, what are the chances of, uh, of getting this data if the hypothesis uh, is false and it doesn't work in the general population? The answer is 5.9%. That's within a hair's breadth of the threshold. And yet everybody's going around saying, no, no, it's not statistically significant. We don't even need to think about it lowering the death rate. This was my point. So in the largest, in the cosmic sense, Mickey, I would say I've been utterly vindicated, even if even if I may have made a mistake. And, you know, I'm not sure I'm totally ready to concede that. I want to I want to look further into this before before guaranteeing the my critics that I will not in the future refer to them as the haters. Whew. Okay. Got that? I got it. Um, Are you so tired that you want to stop our conversation now? I'm pretty tired because I haven't eaten. Okay, quickly. But Update on Elite viewers and or listeners 
I mean, every week I bring to you some like uh, uh, some discovery about another member of the intelligentsia, an elite who is listening to us. Oh, really? Every okay. Week. And then we have the names to talk about too. We have the names. This week's okay. elite is Andrew Sullivan. Really? And that, as you said, we cover the waterfront. You think he made it through? You think Andrew Sullivan made it through that entire discussion of? Uh, no, but Marge as of as of ten minutes ago, he was a listener. <laughs> okay. And the second thing is, uh, I I think the name should you know the distance is a is a good name that's out. Uh, now, I, I think, not so fast, well, Mickey. Somebody proposed. He says maybe you should change the spelling. That's what John Harvey Kellogg of Kellogg Cereal did when he stole his granola name from James Caleb Jackson's granola. He says we should call it Da Distans, D-A-D-I-Z-T-A-N-Z. D-Y-S-T-A-N. There you go. Dystopia. There you go. Like dystopia. Or I still think like Pangolin Lunch or Pangolin Delight is Pangolin is is a is an inherently humorous word. Remember the song Afternoon Delight, Mickey? I do, uh, but <laughs> let's not call the podcast "Afternoon Delight." That no, would be but, that would be a pretty horrific thing. Pangolin delight implies it's like a Chinese dish, and so we get into Steve Bannon and China animus, which I know you'll appreciate. Yeah, another good nomination I thought was the transmission, because okay, you got transmitting virus, and then you got the sense that like. All of America waits for the word from us each week, the transmission, right? And you have a third benefit. Can you think of what the third benefit is? Of they trans- think we're transgender. No, that's not a benefit. You want to know the third benefit? Although, actually, that would be. We would, then we would be woke because I'm, I'm concerned we're not reaching far enough down in the generations. I'm not sure we have a lot of 20 something listeners. So we could do that. But that's not what I had in mind. The, f- Third virtue of transmission? Transnational. No. Transcending national boundaries. No, I like that. No, the word itself, it needs no alteration for this purpose. Transmission. Mickey. Right. What's what's one of your main hobbies? What's one of your main avocational passions? Cars. Cars. Each week, we talk not just about a car, but an actual transmission. Like Dynaflow. <laughs> we can start with Dynaflow. Just yeah, a thought. I think so. Uh, okay. Transmissions are getting more boring because dismiss the, the idea. Fine, dismiss the idea. But it <laughs> would have had three. It would have been a triple entendre. And we have a mission. Or is that mission. One of the, that's one of the earlier entendres. Okay. I don't. I, I don't I, like the, that. I'm telling you, you don't like the transmission. But the distance D Y S T A N isn't bad. Uh, isn't it a little bit like? Uh, cozy cafe K O Z Y K A F E. But you know. You know what's a really terrible name, Bob? Beatles. Beatles is a cheap pun, B-E-A-T-L-E-S. Have you seen Yesterday, the movie? And it didn't stop them. Have you seen the movie Yesterday? No. It's actually good. You should stream it tonight. Hmm. I'm, st- I'm, I'm, I'm streaming it. My wife liked I'm, it, so. I'm streaming a topic series called, called Devs. Have you heard of that? I've watched Devs. I taped, just taped the whole thing on Devs that will air on Tuesday with, Science writer John Horgan. Well, don't 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 spoil it because I bet the last episode where they have to wrap up all the loose ends and don't even tell me if it's good. I have a feeling they're going to fuck it up. So, I've watched seven of the eight. I love it so far. 
don't, don't, I, don't I wouldn't even say, react. I wouldn't say it gets worse. I wouldn't don't say even it gets react. Worse. Bob, Bob, you're spoiling. I don't want any reaction at all. I'm blocking you out. Okay? Forget I even brought it up. I'm sorry. Okay? <laughs> okay. But I will say this, Mickey, about devs. Don't say it. Don't say anything. <laughs> say it next week. Uh, there's something okay. I was going to say that totally won't spoil it. No. It's not even about devs. Okay, let me put it this way. I will say one thing not about devs. Okay? Can I okay. do... Can I go... Okay, in devs. <laughs> <laughs> it's about devs. No, forget it. You hear the name Everett. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Mickey, the, oh, this is a claim to fame and a brush with greatness of mine. And it means a lot to me, but if you wanted to pride me... You've already heard about the Everett Many Worlds interpretation in devs, and you could read it about it on... Okay. You don't want to hear? Okay. It's my own personal... Next week. Next week. One degree removed connection from Hugh Everett, who came up with the Many Worlds interpretation. That's better than my my three degrees connection from Hitler. What are those again? One of my... The half-sister of my grandmother was one of Hitler's favorites. Wait, the half? Say that again? So I'm one to reconnected to Hitler closer than most people. She's the half what? Half-sister of my grandmother. I didn't know her, but I knew my grandmother. So I know somebody who knows somebody who was What did she do that made her one of Hitler's favorites? She was a spy, apparently. She was like a Matahari. He liked to stroke the back of her neck. Huh. So I, I'll, I I take a connection to Everett ahead of that, yes. Yeah, I think on balance, if I had one thing I wanted to brag about and one was a connection to Hitler and one she, was a connection to Hugh Everett, I'd choose Everett. She was not warmly embraced by the family. My grandmother's books were burned by Hitler, so. Okay, well, that Thank cancels God. it out. Your, your books written by your grandmother were burned by Hitler? Correct. My grandmother didn't even read books, I don't think. That's impressive. Well, she was a a writer who explored non-binary sexuality and all sorts of transgressive <laughs> I was, themes. I was just so were considered guess that. De- were considered decadent by. I she was a big time. She was a big novelist. She was, you know, she. What, what was she, her name? Kina Kaus. She's famous. You know, if, if they hadn't burned her books, she would be. She wrote an autobiography that we thought was. Like a joke, we thought she was just going back into her room and you know and wasting her time. And then she brought it out, and it sold ten thousand copies. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, yeah. anyway, okay. So you win that. You win the brush with greatness contest this week because, for one thing, I didn't get to articulate mine. But anyway, next week, next week, Everett. okay, okay. Oh, also, okay. did I promise people I'd show them my mask? Oh shit! Last week, where's the damn mask? I got a mask from where is it? From masks by Colleen. I have a friend who makes masks, too, and I bet her masks are prettier than your mask. Oh, want to bet? Here goes. Hang on a second, Mickey. Sorry to our podcast listeners. Wait a second. Okay. (laughs) Shit. Oh, I should pull it down (laughs) so that I can see. Pretty sharp, huh? That's a nice one. It's very nice. You know, I think it's got a little... Asian motif going. Yeah, my, uh, I like that. My, yeah, my friend Lisa makes them from Indian fabric that she's collected over the years. Mm-hmm. And the fabric is really, really beautiful. You can go to Ya Living and look at it, Y A 
living. But she's sold out. I mean, she can't make them fast enough there. Well, if anybody wants a mask from Masks by Colleen. Um, okay. And you should not speak ill of them, Mickey, because... That's a nice one. No, I like that one. You, it's a good thing you said that, because Colleen is the also the person who's going to be producing this video, and no. she has ways no. of making people look bad, believe <laughs> me. She, chooses, me look she chooses the screenshot, and I can okay. tell you from personal experience, she can make a person <laughs> look trouble. even worse I'm in than a person... Trouble. Looks. No, I like that mask. It also looked like it was effective because it was thick. Oh, in it fact, had more than one layer. In fact, yes, there is more than one layer. If we, I show you the back. See, there's the second layer that that it doesn't cover the whole thing. It needn't, but it covers the mouth area. See, the the second layer. Yeah, very no, well good. done, very well crafted. People uh, should notify us somehow. Oh, I know how. If they want a mask by from Colleen, they should write in. Actually, I don't know if she's still making them. Can't guarantee them. Anyway. Uh, nonzero.news at gmail.com would, would get it to us. I guess speaking of newsletters, I had hoped to have you tell me what I should write about in the newsletter I should write, but maybe we should do that off the air because you think we've gone on long enough, right? No, you have six minutes and then it'll be in an hour and a half. So, uh, I think si- it's longer than a six minute problem. It's really, I mean, it's actually an identity crisis. It's really a pretty deep thing, but, uh, just seems like, I mean, here's a, here's a question just for people. It's like, it seems like there should be something big to say about, and I don't think I'll succeed in the newsletter, but by the way, we should plug our newsletters. Yours is called Cow's Files, when it comes out. Right. Mine is, mine is called the Non-Zero Newsletter, right. when it comes out. Right. And people should subscribe. When's your next one? Who knows? But get to the get to your identity crisis. We, you only have five well, minutes I mean, left now. It's something about the whole non-zero thing, right? I mean, it's like a pandemic is a case when there are non-zero some gains for, from cooperation. For example, in collaborating on a vaccine, many others, uh, and yet it seems to be the pandemic seems to be activating the zero sum part of psychology more than the non-zero sum. Uh, uh, including right. within America, right? I mean, we talked about this a little, we, right. we, uh, but also internationally. Uh, in fact, the, the Secretary General of the UN just said something about this, uh, that nationalism seems to be carrying the day. And most notably, you know, between China and, and the U.S. Um, I was about to sneeze, but I, I, I didn't. Um, and you know, I mean, non-zero sum stuff isn't that my wheelhouse? Supposedly, non-zero yes. sum, zero sum. So there should be. I mean, I, I've done versions of the sermon since the pandemic in the context of, of China. Uh, not so much within America. Anyway, there's that, and then there's the fact that there's the bigger and possibly related question of like, this should be something we talk about in the future. Like, what do you think? Like the big the big paradigm like 10, 20, 30 years from now will be for thinking about this pandemic. Like it changed the world in X way, you know, um, or will it, 
in retrospect, not seem so momentous and it didn't change the world. I mean, some things are kind of obvious. It's going to like, it's going to accelerate the arrival of the future in the sense that it's forcing us to use technology in ways to do things we used to do via, you know, physical proximity, right. probably hasten the demise of certain brick and mortar type right. retailers and so on. Um, but in, in other senses, I mean, I do think there's a real risk. You don't seem to care, but that, uh, this will create a real polarization between China and and not only the U.S. maybe, but China and other countries um, in ways that will be bad for the planet. Uh, well, so you, yeah. You're worried you're losing. Oh, I'm losing. Uh, the the non-zero-sum side of the argument is losing. The, the um, you know, in well, one reason, yeah. Why would that make you change your mind or change your focus? I don't understand. It doesn't. It's just that I can't think of anything. Well, I wonder if I should be presenting this in a different way than I've even been presenting it. I don't know. It's a long. It's at this point we get into like uh, life coach territory, and maybe yeah. you should do this off camera. It's like yeah. it, okay. it, it, we, it, it's like what should I do when I grow up? You know, I know yeah. I'm one of the older people to be asking that question, but that's Never what you can old. tell me. That's you can tell yep. me after we sign off, and then okay. um, people will see the new me uh, next week, the results from your guidance. Um, um, anything okay. else? Um, wait, just quickly. Final question. Is Josh Hawley just a smart version of Trump? I mean, like, ideologically? I hope so. Okay. I haven't, fo- I haven't followed... They've all come out with these new populist manifestos that, as I suspect, are all written by the yeah. same person. Well, he wrote an <laughs> no. abolish the WTO op-ed for the New York Times is the reason I asked. Okay. It's um, close to an explicit call for a new Cold War with China. But you you just can't trust at this stage of the campaign. These are all – they're all promoting views that are written for them by somebody else. And, they, yes, they probably agree with them, but you well, can't. Well, then he's not that smart apparently. He doesn't make up his own mind on these things? No, I think he does. But you know, even if you're smart, you don't write the speech yourself, really. And um, so it just doesn't. I don't. I, I think it's very. You know, it's it's it, it. You know, it's within the margin of significance that it reflects his views. But you can't. Marco Rubio is giving important speeches. You know, does that reflect what Marco Rubio really thinks? No. He's, you know, he's going to revert back to the old Marco Rubio as, as soon as he's elected. So you, you just can't. Well, that's, that, that was kind of my question. Marco Rubio will suck up to Trump sometimes, but he clearly didn't wasn't a Trumpist three years ago. Is Josh Hawley? No, but different? he's he's edging in the Hawley direction in his speeches. Enough. He's just positioning. They're all I guess I'm asking: themselves. Is Hawley more authentically Trumpist in his story, his ideological origin story? I think so, but I think JD Vance is the real thing. I'm still for JD Vance. Really? He's hasn't run for anything yet, but there's always a first. You think time. it's possible? Okay. No, I think Hawley is much more possible. But yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I, Hawley gave a speech. I thought it was fine, you know. But you know, anyway. Okay. Uh, so, um, I'd rather have Hawley than Trump. I'd switch him out in an instant. I'd rather have almost anybody. Well, I don't know. In a way, in a way, a smart version of Trump is scarier. But anyway, um, so. Well, there's there's a good there's a good topic for the non-zero newsletter. Mm. I don't think so. I don't know enough about politics to do a rich version of that. I think anyway. 
we think, nonetheless, people should tune in and listen to me opine about politics. I didn't mean to say they shouldn't. But um, we thank them. We're still looking for a name, apparently. Uh, although we haven't ruled out some of the ones we discussed, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push for several. Uh, somebody suggested are not non-zero, but then you'd probably demand equal time for your book title, and it would get kind of long once you threw in the end of equality. So no, but um, we could call it the end of Bob Wright. I'm game. I'm game. <laughs> end could be an end could be a double entendre. The purpose yes. of Bob Wright. No, that's it's always a double entendre. Yes, like the end of liberalism, the end of equality, the end of books, the end of bookstore, which I always wanted to start, which is all the books about whose the title of, is the end of something, including John Morgan's The End of Science. That, that pun is almost always there. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so we're going to do this again next week, and uh, people should. Uh, oh, oh, people should spread the word, like on social media or something. Right? Is that what we're asking at this point? Spread the word. We're, we're not asking for money. We got to ask for something. Spread the word. Sure. What the hell? Okay. See you next week. Okay. Take care.